All right. So we are back in a series we're doing called What's the Hurry, which is based off of a book by uh, author John Mark Comer, who's a pastor at a big church in Portland as well. And this, it's the whole idea of taking a look at Jesus' life, how we can learn from literally the practices of how he lived, not just knowing about Jesus and knowing facts and things about him, but how he lived and how that can impact our lives and combat something that is actually a really big deal in all of our lives and affects everybody, something called hurry. Because here's the thing, I think there's so many things in the world that you can come up with theories of like, you know, why is stuff such a mess? Why is there so much divisiveness and division? And, you know, is it because of the economic uh, split and diversity? Is it because of racism? Is it because of this, that, or, or different religions or politics, whatever it is? One of the big issues that's dragging so much of it, us down is the hurry in our lives. It's one of the biggest things that separates us from God. It's one of the biggest things that separates us from each other. It separates us from our own patience and our own sanity. Dallas Willard, uh, pastor and author, said, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual lives. And with that, he's meaning like our ability to give and receive love to others, to ourselves, to God. And it's probably the most crippling thing in our lives that we can deal with. And actually, what we've done for a while is, is proven that. And, you know, I'd love to recap even more, but I've got a lot this morning, and I'm really excited to share with you, because what we've been doing is looking at uh, some key practices in Jesus's life. A couple weeks ago, we looked at silence and solitude as something that we might stumble into sometimes, but we rarely intentionally practice, or we rarely practice the way Jesus practiced it as a need, like something that you can't just maybe come across silence and solitude, but you desperately go to it, especially when the heat is on, especially when the energy is high, the demands are high. Jesus would go into this place, the Aramos, if you remember that word, and he would spend time with God the Father. He would do it to battle the devil. He would do it to strengthen his own confidence and his faith and his security of knowing what he was doing. And then I challenged you all with trying to spend one hour of intentional silence and solitude. Who, who got that? My humble admission, nice. One and a half hands, that's right. I, I got 40 minutes and it, it's hard, it is hard. And here's the reason, because this idea of living like Jesus, sometimes it, it's a pretty common practice, even if you're skeptical of the faith, if you're joining in and you don't really care about church, most people are like, yeah, but Jesus was chill. He was pretty great, right? He was an all right guy. But our world hates living like he lived. Our world is so like the antithesis of how Jesus lived his life, the truths he believed. So all of these practices of trying to live like Jesus are not easy. They, they're not massive demands, but they go completely against the grain of our, the society around us, the norm in our culture. So, and actually from the hand I saw over there, I'd love to hear how that was for you too, because it, it's a powerful experience. This morning with the worship team, we were even just talking about some different worship songs, and you have some worship songs that are just so full of words and lyrics and theology and Bible references and meat and potatoes, right? And then there are some worship songs that are pretty open and repetitive. And, you know, some people love one versus the other, but what's actually neat is one of those styles actually leaves space for you to just be present with God. And I bet you, for a number of you, if you've grown up too in a more kind of conservative, like this church, a bit more of a conservative Mennonite tradition, that space in songs can feel uncomfortable. And like we found with one of the authors in this study we're looking at, and like God even really shows us, we're uncomfortable because those moments that we're not just doing something, feeling productive, we're more exposed to God and we're more vulnerable of just ourselves. And we actually need to practice being okay with that. It's actually a really neat opportunity because C.S. Lewis said it, likely many of us have never truly experienced God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace because we've never been truly vulnerable in front of God, just the mess of a person we are, all the stuff and the distractions that we crave, and instead just being open and available to God. So that was silence and solitude. This week we're tackling something a little bit different. Um, I'm going to ask you a bit of a question. You can just process in your mind here a bit, or you can shout it out too, but here's a question for those of you who have had at any point in your life or currently are in like full-time work, full-time profession, career, whatever, 
How many hours a week do you typically put in, including your commute and all the time you're at home thinking about and planning about your job that they're not actually paying you for, by the way, and the weekends as well when you're doing the extra side work to prepare yourself for the time at work? Probably a bit more than 40 hours. The, there is an average, actually, there was a study, the average um, full-time working person, and full-time actually counts as employed for 32 hours or more. Uh, the average was working 52 hours a week, and so I mean that's a stretch from 32 all the way to the, those who are doing 80 hours a week being paid for the maximum norm of 40 hours a week. Um, it's, it's a bit of a myth though, right, that 40 hours a week, because here's the thing, uh, we love, even though we kind of hate it, the workaholism in our culture, there's this thing I saw in a sitcom, this complain-a-brag. Because how many times do you have a really busy, crazy week, and then you're talking to people, and you're like, yeah, I put in 75 hours last week, and I had to work on the weekend, and all this stuff, and you're kind of complaining about it, but you kind of want people to know how busy you are and how productive you are. You complain bragging a little bit. But we, th that's our value, right? Like, nobody just says, I've got nothing going on. I'm just stewing in the mundaneness of life and letting Netflix pacify me. Nobody says that, right? Because it, it doesn't feel like that's value. Our culture says, no, if you're busy, you have value. Um, but here's, here's a bit more of a troubling stat. So it's an American study because nobody studies Canada, unfortunately. So we'll just take off of the states a bit. But um, in, in people who are working full time, who are entitled to vacation times, who have the ability to take off one or more weeks, it found that only 30% of full-time employed people take off a full week a year, and only 14% take two full weeks or more a year off. And again, this isn't, these are people who have the ability. I know some of you might not even have that as an option. 14% who have the option don't even take vacation time, because working is that valuable, never stopping. John Ortberg, uh, author and pastor, said, busyness isn't just the result of a disordered schedule, it's the result of a disordered heart. It's a pretty pointing statement. It kind of hurts when it hits you that way. It's not just if you suck at calendar stuff and things constantly keep coming up because you're not using your calendar app well enough. It's, it's because our priorities are a bit of a mess, because we're focused on our values being productive. Uh, another author, Corey Tenboom, said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And they have the same effect. Being busy isn't a sin, but it looks a lot like sin because it cuts you off from God and from people around you. And it cuts you off from deep and meaningful relationships because you stay busy and you stay surface and you barely have time to keep yourself or your family or your relationships going, but you're busy, so you've got that value going. So, and... You know, as I was just thinking about this too, there's a, there's a couple cliches and they're very potent in the church and this is where we need to correct this. That's what this morning's about. So how many of you have heard like, you know, you're kind of busy, but that's okay, I'll sleep when I'm in heaven, right? That's fine, I, probably not true. I don't know the theology on that. Even worse, here's a big one, okay? Like, the devil doesn't take a day off. Has anyone ever said that to you? Horrible advice. Because here's the deal, the devil loses. Why would, you, why would you copy the practice of the devil? And at the end of the day, why would you take that as a model? The enemy, like, yeah, let's do the same thing. How's that working out? So we need something different. Let's take a look at the life of Jesus. So life of Jesus. Uh, here's a story. Here's it goes. It's in Mark chapter 2. Um, on a lazy Saturday afternoon, just paraphrasing here for a little bit, getting the context set up for you. Jesus is walking through a field with his disciples. This is just one of many wonderful Saturdays um, that during Jesus' ministry, his whole life, he's just relaxing and praying, having a good time with his disciples. But on this day, Jesus found himself in a little bit of trouble. Actually, he regularly got himself on trouble on these days once a week, on Saturdays. Some religious enforcement leaders took issue with the way he was celebrating this specific day, this thing called the Sabbath. And this is how Jesus responded. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a strange term. Maybe you've heard the term Sabbath. Maybe it's just this churchy, religious-y term from an old school tradition. Maybe it's something that just 
appears in the Bible, but you don't do Sabbath. Maybe it kind of sounds like Sunday, so you thought it was just a weird way of saying Sunday. I do know people who've thought that. Um, and it, it makes sense because, you know, honestly, that's what even 2,000 years ago, the people Jesus came up against, that's some of the stuff they had with it too. It was just this very hyper-religious-y, old traditional thing that you just did, but didn't get the point of it. So let's dive in. Sabbath, what's Jesus talking about? What's the thing that Jesus was practicing that he got himself in trouble for? Why did he get in trouble? So it comes right out of the creation story. Beginning of the Bible, if you've got your hard copy Bible, it's like first few pages in, past the copyright pages, the book of Genesis. If you've got your app, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So what you got here is by the seventh day, so God creates the universe, and it, it goes through an order of days. First day, he makes light and darkness, and second day, and on and on, and then the fish and the animals and the sea and sky, and there's this whole beautiful imagery of the way God is in charge of everything happening. And then it goes into this part too. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, by the seventh day, God created for six days, seventh day, God had finished all the work that he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God took six days to create and declared it all very good, and then he rested. And the word Sabbath, it was not actually used right at this point yet, but it gets referenced very quickly on throughout Genesis and in Exodus as the thing that God created. Uh, many scholars say God actually, the seventh day wasn't a day without creation. God created this whole new thing called Sabbath. And what it is, it's a word Shabbat. Shabbat, I don't speak Hebrew, probably butchered it really poorly. Um, literally means to stop. And not stop like a stop sign, not stop like coming short, but stop like after six busy days of creating the universe. And it's not like God was tired and like, man, I can't handle the burden and I need to take a break. It's not stop like you can't go on. It's stop like when you do a whole hard day of work in the garden and then you just get to spend the next day on the lawn chair enjoying it in the sun, right? Under the pergola with the grapes. Like a nice kind of stopping. It's stopping like when you finally get the brakes done and the oil changed and you, the bearings done on your rusty old car that you've been neglecting for a while and these knuckles are bleeding and the next day you just enjoy it a bit, right? And you have a beer and just relax. Not nearly enough amens to that. So <laughs> different crowd. Maybe you're reading a good book. It's like a good kind of stopping not based on exhaustion, but just based on enjoyment, joy. Here's a, a quote from an author, Dan Allender, who literally wrote a book called Sabbath, has this, he calls it uh, what the Sabbath is, and it's beautiful. It says, the Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. We anticipate it all week long. Sabbath is the holy time where we set aside uh, and we eat and we play and dance and sing. We pray, we laugh, we have sex, we be close with each other. We're painting and walking. We experience all of creation in all of its fullness. And it's such a full day of delight and joy. That kind of enjoyment and Sabbath, most people couldn't bear in a lifetime, let alone once a week. That's the Sabbath. That's what God's talking about. That's what Jesus was referring to on the Saturday when he came up against these religious leaders because what happened is they just created about a set of traditions of stuff you do and Jesus said, that's not the point. You missed it. It's actually about the stuff you don't. And it's actually about the enjoyment and the relaxing and the stopping. So that word Sabbath, Shabbat, is what we're talking about this morning. Stopping, something that we have to learn about. So there's two major uh, points about Sabbath that we're going to learn about this morning. The first one is Sabbath as a rhythm in our lives. So going back to the Genesis story, uh, just the first part there, chapter 2, verse 1, by the seventh day, God had finished all the work that he had been doing, and on the seventh day, he rested. Here's a part of it. So the implication is he labored. Actually, you know what? Sorry, PowerPoint people at the back. Um, skipping ahead a little bit, in the book of Exodus, we hear a more explained expansion about Sabbath. And the way it describes it is, 
In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in it. And on the seventh day, he rested. So we have this structure for a week. And here's the thing. There's two parts to that. So the first part is the, the first part of that, labored for six days. And some of you actually need to hear that part, right? Because we do live in a culture that's edging for a four-day work week and then maybe even a three-day work week, right? And, and doing less and doing less and doing less. And it's actually a bit of a lie. It's just a committed less with actually being busy way more, right? We have a five-day work week right now, and how many of us are actually only occupied for five days of our week? There's definitely very few of us who are getting a full two days off. And I know this is like single mothers are busy, and retired people are busy, and students are busy. We're all busy, but labored for six days, and that's some production. That was the work and effort he was doing. Um, but here's the thing, it's actually a really important uh, balance of six days and one. Uh, numerous studies have found that after a certain amount of hours worked per week, your production and productivity actually goes way down. It, it actually plummets. Um, one was saying that after about 55 hours seems to be a bit of a limit. If you put in 50 to 55 hours of work, they found that there was no discernible difference for those who were working 75, 80 hours in a week. You just wasted 30 hours of your life working for the sake of productivity, making your identity, but there's no discernible improvement on that. Um, but it's no uh, surprise that the majority of, not the majority, all of our world, every nation follows a seven-day week structure, and not just the Judeo-Christian settled nations in the world, but all of them, Islamic countries and Buddhist countries and Taoist countries, seven-day weeks. The last time a nation tried to move away from a seven-day work week was in 1793, and France tried to uh, propose a 10-day work week. And the result of that was a revolution. Suicide skyrocketed and crime and an uprising ensued and productivity plummeted. God established from the first moment in creation a seven-day week where he worked for six, but then he stopped. Another fun stat, actually, you might have not even heard about, but uh, the pioneers of, on the Oregon Trail, there was a few different groups of them. It was always just religious battles and stuff, but the groups that followed the Sabbath and just didn't progress any further arrived in Oregon before the rest of the groups. Um, another fun group, so uh, one study found this really thing. It took a look at the happiest people on earth, the people who just had the most joy, most easygoing, carefree, found, found a really unique thing. So there's a Christian denomination called the Seventh-day Adventists. We actually hosted them in our church for a little while here in our other building uh, while their building was being repaired from some damage from the floods. And you may have not seen them because they meet on Saturdays. They're a group of people who are literally religious about following the Sabbath on a schedule, on a specific day, all together on Saturdays. So they get together, they worship, they gather, they stop a lot of their week completely. Um, the study found Seventh-day Adventists ranking among the highest of people with the most joy, as well as, interestingly enough, an average of 10-year longer lifespan than the average American. If you add that up, if you take one extra day a week for the average lifespan is about 72 years, uh, it's about 10 years. Interesting, you actually get it back. It's like almost a return investment. Um, just a whole bunch of interesting things. But, so there's a rhythm in the universe. The Sabbath is establishing a rhythm that we need to follow. On the flip side, uh, author H.H. Farmer and philosopher said, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. And I love that. One doctor, a cardiovascular doctor, in the 50s made an interesting discovery and a proposal finding that high-level executive businessmen in New York in high-level jobs with high burnouts, so lawyers, doctors, surgeons, investors, brokers, were having heart attacks at a really young age. And he found a direct correlation to hurrying, hurried lifestyles and heart disease. When you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. He actually found, and he said this, uh, he created a thing called hurry sickness, a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish and achieve more and more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time without ever stopping. Literally hurts us 
biologically and medically. The Sabbath establishes a rhythm that we need to follow with a seven-day work week, or six days of work and labor, one day of stopping. The other thing that God did here that's really interesting in the creation story, we're going back to that out of Genesis, is that he blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. In the creation story, God blesses animals, he blesses humans, he says, be fruitful, awesome commandment, and multiply, awesome commandment, and then he blessed a day. And this is unique. It might just sound, again, if you've grown up in the church, it's just bible language. In ancient Mesopotamia, other religions, other gods didn't bless time. They didn't bless a calendar. They blessed people. They blessed kings and rulers. But a day. And then it goes even further and made it holy. In Hebraic writing, in, in the book of Genesis here, there's a bit of a tradition that the first time a word is used it sets up a precedent for the definition of the rest of the times you're reading it throughout the scriptures. The first time the word holy is used is talking about a day of the week. God made the Sabbath day holy. Holy means set apart, unique, created specifically for. That's the definition of holy. And here's the amazing thing, is this is a Sabbath day where other deities, other gods, our world currently, this isn't just an ancient thing, Places are holy. Stuff is holy. Statues are holy. But God made a time holy. And what he's saying here is, you don't need a castle to meet me. You don't need a statue to meet me. You don't need Cedar Valley Mennonite Church on 32860 Cherry Avenue to come here to meet with God. It's great that you're here, though. You can join us online, too. It's all right. But you don't need that. What you actually need is a time to meet with God, and he will be present in that. God made a day holy. I know a lot of people who've done pilgrimage trips to Israel and experienced incredible stuff where they've said things like, I've experienced, you know, they went to the original places in Mount Sinai where the stone tablets were created. They went to the places where the early church hid in caves, and they said they felt an amazingly different presence of God. And that is an incredible testimony and story. But it's actually not necessary because you can meet with God when you truly Sabbath and stop and give yourself an opportunity to be present with God. I'm delaying way too much on this. Very cool stuff and data, that's fine. Let's talk about the Sabbath a bit more. So fast forwarding a little bit, God establishing creation this seventh day where he stopped and rested, cracked a beer and delighted on his whole creation. It was amazing, finished all the stuff, a lot of work, a lot of mechanics going into making the universe. He stopped and enjoyed it. Fast forward several lots and lots of generations in the book of Exodus, chapter 20. The Israelites, God's people, have just been freed from Egypt. They were uh, in slavery by Pharaoh, uh, building stuff, had very, like, no rights, no identity. They were just laborers. God freed them, brought them into the desert for a while, and then said, I will be your God. Here's 10 commandments of how I want you to live your life. Ten Commandments you may have heard about, we're going to dive in on the third commandment. So, Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 8, says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any other work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but, the, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed that Sabbath day and made it holy. A lot here, we're going to pick it apart. First thing to note here, there's ten commandments, lots of good commandments. This one's huge. It actually takes up like one-third of the space of all the ten commandments. Second thing, very interesting here, is the only commandment that's a spiritual discipline something to practice on a regular basis. And, and let me explain that a little bit, right? Another one of the commandments, like what's the first one that comes to your mind? Thou shalt not murder. Somebody cuts you off when you're in a parking lot and there's a perfect spot and they just jump in there. You don't have to repeat yourself, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not murder. 
it, it's not that kind of same discipline, right? Same with stealing, right? And you're in the grocery store and you see a really awesome steak and you just want to get the thing. Somebody else is like, nope, mine. Or it's way too expensive, right? Because inflation is making everything way too difficult. So you're like, I, I should just put it in my pocket. You, you don't have to say, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not steal. These are kind of more culturally established rhythms, part of your character. You do have to learn and implement. They have bigger implications, but a little bit different than something like Sabbath, where you're saying every single week, do this. You get to participate in it. And then third, it's one of the only commandments that has a story behind it, a reason why it started, why you should keep doing it. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy because the Lord did it. And here's the thing. You might be saying, okay, I get all this grant and, you know, six days and seven days, that's fine. But I'm super busy. But God rested. Okay, that's fine, Grant, I get it. But, you know, I have, like, wife and kids and everything. But God had to rest. Okay, but I have all these projects at home and I need to do this stuff and there's other jobs coming up and I've got three jobs. But God needed rest. You can't come up with, against that. You can't outdo that. You're not more important than God. He's far more capable than you. And if you do not take Sabbath in your life, part of this rhythm, Sabbath will take you. Burnout happens, whether it's going to be your physical health or your mental health, and you're going to be hit hard and stop and forced into Sabbath, and that is not a pleasant experience when Sabbath takes you. So God established this rhythm of how to just maintain and sustain and be so fruitful in all of your life. Man, I'm going on tangents this morning. <laughs> so much good stuff here. Okay, we're back. Overall, establishing the Sabbath as a rhythm, the author of this book that we're using is a guide, John Mark Comer. He has a measure to help us understand what Sabbath looks like, what it, what it should look like, of how we should practice it. There's two things. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. That's what the religious leaders of the day, of Jesus' day, tried doing, is establishing do's and don'ts, and that failed them, and it, helped, it made them miss the whole point. What it is is taking a look at the original creation story at God's design of Sabbath, and what it looks like is um, something like this, asking yourself two things. On the Sabbath, everything you do, is it restful, and is it worship? and worship being a huge category, but does it bring you to a place of admiring God or celebrating God and what he's given you and how he is in the world and in your life? There's so many good things that you can do in a day. Sunday is a very classic one, right? Like Sunday's a great day and we come here and we worship together. Uh, I love it. I get here, I'm here at like 7 a.m., drag my wife and kid here, uh, not by force, they come voluntarily, right? And we're working and there's a lot of amazing volunteers here. Thank you, volunteers, worship and kids and tech and nursery. But honestly, for a lot of people too, Sundays you kind of get to the end of the day and you're exhausted. And it's good stuff, but that's not Sabbath. Sabbath is rest and worship. There are so many good spiritual disciplines we can bring into our lives, like prayer, like fasting, uh, singing Bethel songs, all really good stuff, but maybe we also need to bring into the spiritual discipline of like eating a hot dog. And I would even recommend the one at Canadian Tire in Abbotsford, a Lolly's dog, the good hot dog, as Sabbath as a little bit of worship, of celebrating how good God is that he made hot dogs, right? On a pretzel bun, has anyone had it? Oh my goodness, go to Lolly's. It is, they're, they're great, man. It's like $14, but it's worth it. I know, that's the, Mennonites are like, no way am I spending that on a hot dog. <laughs> okay, there's another part here that I wanna get in, hugely important. So Sabbath as rest and worship, part of a rhythm of our lives. In the middle there, there's a little piece that, man, you could dive into so much uh, in the commandments. I think in verse 9, On it you shall do no work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, or your male or female servants, or your animals, or any foreigner residing in your town. Let's talk about this for a little bit. What, to really understand this better, we're going to fast forward into the book of Deuteronomy. So what's happened? Uh, 
Exodus is coming just after God freed the Israelites from Egypt, from slavery, delivered them. They're getting the Ten Commandments. God's saying, here's how I want you to live. Here's how we're going to interact and be a nation. I, you will be my people. I will be your God. They go through 40 years. So it's a whole other generation, generation and a half of people. Uh, they've been traveling, moving, establishing themselves as a free nation, still not with land, but figuring out how to do stuff, a lot more liberty and freedom than they've ever had before in slavery. And then this book, Deuteronomy, which just literally means like second law because they kind of made a mess of their nation and culture, the way they were practicing stuff. They had the Ten Commandments and they kind of made a huge mess of it. So. Moses then brings back the Ten Commandments again, and then we get this exact same commandment, but listen to it as I read it out, slightly different. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting at verse 12, talking about the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord. On it you shall do no work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or donkey, or any of your animals, or any foreigner residing in your towns. Explaining further, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is like a bit more than a revision, hey? This is like Ten Commandments addition to the complete different thing. It's still the Sabbath, but Moses has a different command and now a different why behind it. And super interesting. So, this is kind of what's going on, and I love it because this is what we need to learn from. So Sabbath establishes a rhythm in our life. Now the second part here is pointed at something where the Sabbath was a reminder. Israelites were slaves in Egypt. He says, remember that God created Sabbath. You should rest. And they're like, yeah, we can't wait. 40 years later, a generation later, a privileged generation with liberties and freedoms that can now be productive, has their own servants, has their own families and animals and everything going on has started to forget the Sabbath and not even forget it, but not practice it because you can do more stuff on that day. You could be more productive. You could create more wealth. And the story throughout all of human history is that the oppressed become the oppressors and suddenly Israelites start looking a little bit like Egypt. And God says, don't you dare do that. Here's the deal with Egypt. Egypt is, was this massive empire, really what it was is a huge economic system of success, of wealth, of thriving prosperity built on the backs of an oppressed nation, Israel, and other surrounding nations. It wasn't even just Israel. And they had so much stuff and wealth, they were actually the inventors of the mini storage units. They created store cities that they brought all their extra wealth. All the oligarchs had so much stuff they couldn't even keep it in their own palaces. So they had store cities to bring more of their grains and food and just gold and statues and stuff that they had taken from other nations. So much stuff. And the reality is that Egypt is alive and well today. We're living in it. We've got it. I feel regularly like I'm part of the like impoverished line, right? Like, how do I afford a $1 million house as a starter? There's no chance. But then you take a look at the global wealth scales of economy, and it looks like a pyramid. Just, you know, everything's tied together. It's fine. It looks like a pyramid because what it shows is actually at the top 1%, I think it's 1.7%, at the top little peak is the majority of the wealth. It's 70% of the world's wealth. All of those very rich people who have more than one vehicle in their house, who have multiple electronic devices, who have access to food at any given moment, who have the ability to, tra to travel to see friends and family afar. I think we all kind of actually fit into that, hey? We are really actually part of that prosperity. And God's command here is saying, Sabbath, it's good to rest, good to stop. Also, follow this because you do not get to be like Egypt, the oppressors, and don't fall into that trap. This is actually a command of resistance, of standing up against a system that says more and more and never stop. Next week, we're going to hear from 
Uh, Liz and Juan Carlos Jimenez from Light of the World Christian School, like you heard about from our introduction. They are based in Guatemala, a country that has a lot of visible poverty. It's a developing nation. There is a lot of uh, imbalanced wealth. There is just very little access to resources across all the different communities. But it's not just stuff that's far and overseas, and, and Guatemala I know is not overseas, <laughs> but all around the world, sometimes we think that poverty is not just far away, but it's here in our towns too, houseless people, people who are struggling to get by, who have been uh, oppressed by, whether it's just poor landlords, or bad job situations, or just a whatever mess of different stuff, bad family connections. And then every now and then a bit of a heart-wrenching story comes up onto headlines and it gets viral and then we change our profile pictures with a frame to say we stand with or support or we care about or you go to Wendy's and you buy the little thing and put a heart on the wall. Good stuff to be aware of, but honestly that's not going to change a whole lot of the world. But you know what might? Stopping everything for a day, you know what might actually give Dave the Amazon delivery driver a break in his life of demand? Stop ordering stuff on Sundays or Saturdays or one day a week, right? We go without stopping constantly, but what would shake up this world system of economy is one day a week, stop. And that would actually give houses people the chance to relax and breathe. That would give people who are stressed working more and more, and then their job demands them more and more. They bought into it because it was part-time, but actually they said, yeah, part-time is just going to be four hours every single day for the rest of your life. Because we demand more and more. I can actually remember a time, most of you can actually probably remember a time where Sundays were pretty chill and low-key. Stuff was closed. I even remember, I grew up in Surrey, which is just always much more urban, going, thriving, and then I moved out like 13 years ago to Abbotsford, and I remember Sunday afternoons were like calm and stuff closed down. It's all Bible belty down there, right? So stuff just closed down because nobody's going out to restaurants. That's gone, right? Where 7-Eleven came in, kicked down the doors of the 26 or 24-6. 24-7 now is just the thing and everything is open and never stops and never closes down. I mean, it's kind of nice, right? You can go to Rocco's and get a poutine at 2 a.m. Not bad, your stomach doesn't feel good, so you're up all night, and then you go and get a milkshake at 4 a.m. Except for a McDonald's milkshake machine's always broken down. So Sabbath is rhythm, but it's also resistance. It stands up against an empire that goes for more and more. I'm gonna leave you with this. We're gonna just take a quick look through what Sabbath can actually look like in reality. So lots of good diving into stuff, what Sabbath was designed for, stopping. What can Sabbath look like in our lives in reality? So there's five things about it. The first part is Sabbath is one full day. You can't really get away from the languaging that it's a full day. I remember hearing one time a bit of a progressive interpretation is like, well, Sabbath just means taking some breaks every now and then when you can but that's actually not the point. Uh, I, I did go through a little bit of time of like, that's, I don't need to rest that much. I Sabbath for 30 minutes a day. And here's the reality. If I'm honest with myself, I would just take a look back in my week and I would, I would say like, oh yeah, that little gap in time, that was one of my Sabbaths. And, and this piece there, that was a bit of Sabbath too. Completely wrong. Um, it's a counterfeit. It's illegitimate. It's not a Sabbath in the command. There's a word in there that I, I kind of skipped over here, actually, but it's important. The Sabbath is a day to the Lord. It's not just a time off. It's not just a break. It's actually intentional time for you and for God to be present. That's why it needs to be rest and worship. It's an intentional day, and it's a full day. So here's the thing, and it's difficult, and we have so many crazy schedules and stuff like that, but it seems to be clear in the Bible that a full entire day is what's necessary to actually recover, to actually be present with God, to actually have an amazing day with your family, a day with your friends, a day with whatever, just baking a loaf of bread and eating it out on the porch, whatever. It could just be so great. Reflecting on God, reflecting on your faith, asking questions, reading the Bible, one full day. And that's what is needed to keep that rhythm of the universe being part of that, not going against the grain of the universe. The second part is it's with community. 
So the Israelites were massive community, very close-knit, very connected, uh, to, the, to the point where Sabbath was actually established as part of just like uh, political law. Sabbath was just the day that is created. Um, different scholars have uh, translations of when or interpretations when Sabbath was uh, almost holistically lands on that the original context was Saturdays. The way that the Hebraic tradition counts days was sundown to sundown. So Sabbath was Friday from sundown to Saturday sundown. And it's kind of neat that way, actually, because it doesn't, it, 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 it's longer some parts of the year, shorter some parts of the year. You don't get to say what Sabbath is going to fit for you. It is just what it is. Um, but our world is a little bit different. Western Christianity has kind of moved it to Sundays collectively for quite a while. A lot of North America was founded around Sundays. It was like, you, you don't go to stuff on Sundays. Things were closed. You can't open up your store on Sundays. That's kind of gone by the wayside. But there are still some businesses that do it. Uh, I know the classic meme-worthy one in the States is Chick-fil-A. It's not open on Sundays. It's almost, it's grown so big, it's like a testimony to the world. This Christian fast food chain doesn't open on Sundays. What a weird thing. And this business is willing to do that. Even if it's Boxing Day, they're not open. I actually love, too, the little bit of a testimony in Abbotsford Blackwood Building Center. Not open on Sundays. Doesn't matter what's coming up. There's a Boxing Day that landed on Sunday. Not open on Sundays. Uh, businesses have chosen to establish a rest day of the week so that their workers and their friends and their family aren't burdened by the need to just make more profit. Um, as we become way more globalized, though, as a community, we've become a little bit less and less connected, surprisingly. It seems like a bit of a dichotomy, but um, not it's not necessary that Sabbath is going to be an established worldwide single day. But what you do need to ask yourself is, what is the community around you that you would Sabbath with? Is it just as far as your family, your immediate collective, your partner, your spouse, your kids? Is it some close friends with you? Is it extended family? Is it a church? A com commonly, some communities will establish, like our whole church community, very important to us. We're going to establish a day of the week. Maybe it's Mondays that works out for enough people. Maybe it's whatever, Sundays or Saturdays. But what is the community around you that you will Sabbath with? Sabbath is something that you do one full day of the week and you do it with community. The other part about it, third part, is rest and worship. Assess everything you do on this day if you start practicing Sabbath. Is it restful? Is it worship? Look back at the end of the day. You should feel great. You should feel awesome. And again, this isn't like you can't do this, you can't lift up a shovel, you can't do these things. It should be life-giving. It should be celebrating. It should be the thing that you look forward to your whole week because your marriage is going to thrive after every single week. Can you imagine that? If your marriage gets a huge booster every single week because you just pour into each other and your kids are thriving because you pour into them or your friends are just absolutely impacted because you make this day about relationship and community and your faith is on fire because you're just present with God and it's okay if the garden didn't get tilled. It's okay if you didn't nail up more drywall. It's okay if you didn't prepare ahead a little bit for the rest of the work week. You actually focused an entire day of stopping to be present for yourself and for God. So is it rest and worship? Few uh, tips for that is turn off the noise and distractions. Silence your phones. Most phones now even have this cool feature where you can say, okay, here's the important people I'm gonna hear from is like uh, I, my wife, my family. So if my, their last name is Miller, sure, they can come through. Everything else gets muted. I don't even know. Emails don't even come through. You can even set up little keywords of like, hey, let a text message come through. If it's got 18 exclamation marks and says, is dying, and then you get the notification. Turn off the distractions. Me and my wife have had the luxury over the past year to practice Sabbath on Mondays, and it's great. And you know, my guilty admission is I'm still learning. I am bad at this. Uh, but emails, sometimes I still glance and see like, oh, there's an email from this, there's that. Where I've started is I just don't reply. 
And maybe some of you have been bothered by that. If you sent the thing on like Sunday evening or Monday and it's like, why is Grant not getting back to me? And I just don't reply. So far to this date, people have forgiven me. Nothing has burned down. Almost church alarm, fire alarm did go off once. That notification came through, but it didn't burn down. It's just a false alarm. Typically, the world will go on if you just stop and say no to things for a moment. Fourthly, prepare. You have to prepare for this. Again, it's, it's true. Like, you, if you're going to actually try to say whatever, you're not going to go shopping, means you need to get your groceries the day before or the week before. Prepare for it. Uh, biblically, this was a thing the Israelites had to practice. There's a story in the Old Testament in Exodus around chapter 16 where they didn't have food. God blessed them with this stuff that fell from heaven called manna, which literally means what is it? It was weird. It, nobody really knows. It was flaky, kind of like, I don't know, dry pita bread. Um, and what happened is they gathered it every single day, but then God said on the sixth day, so on Friday, gather twice as much as you need for the next day. So prepare. If you gather too much, it'll spoil, but just gather what you need for two full days. If you try to keep it any longer, it will spoil, but they prepared a day in advance. So take a look at your week and prepare to give yourself a space once a week where you don't have to get stuff done, where you have flexibility, where you don't have to work on the projects. Don't cram everything into this day once a week. Prepare for it. And what I actually love about that too is you can't just keep changing the schedule to fit your needs. Uh, Seventh-day Adventists, again, the church uh, denomination that practices Sabbath very religiously, Saturday comes, doesn't matter if you're prepared or not, it's Sabbath. And it hits you and you stop. And it's kind of nice because sometimes it's like the, the universe coming in, the rhythm of the universe and just kicking us in the knees and dropping us down because we don't know how to do it ourselves. Let it happen. And just realize that at the end of it, you're probably going to be fine, probably more rested, probably the unprepared Sabbath will be more life-giving than just pushing through and not taking a day for that. Okay, and lastly is grace. Another way of saying this is don't be a jerk to yourselves or to other people. This is a weird practice. This is not normal. It is not normal in Christianity even. This is something that requires grace. Is what Jesus was talking about at the start when we looked at Jesus saying the man was made for Sab- the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Very important to not get that mixed up. Jesus was saying this isn't a thing that's meant to crush you and wreck you and become another burden on you. God designed this as something that He thrived in and He recovered in after this time of creation and He got to delight in it, and He wants the same for you. This isn't about legalism. This isn't about rules and ticking the boxes. This is about rest and worship. So be gracious if you screw it up, if you can't make it happen. Our world is not practicing this, so things are going to constantly interrupt uh, trying to practice a once-a-week Sabbath. Work schedules don't all follow a weekly basis, too. I know here that most of the emergency services industry go on a four-day, four-day sort of pattern really hard to make a once a week, every seven day pattern work. Be gracious because the truth of the matter here too is that Jesus actually never commanded for us to follow Sabbath, but he definitely practiced it very passionately and very faithfully. Sabbath isn't the thing that's going to have you get you closer to God. Sorry, isn't going to get you the established relationship with God. It will nurture your relationship with God but the beauty of the work that Jesus did on the cross is eliminated that perfection, law-following need to have a thriving relationship with God. Jesus crossed that gap and said, sin is not the thing that will keep you from God anymore. Try, practice, live the way Jesus lived. It is life-giving, it is fruitful, but we make mistakes, we make a mess. Jesus provided that grace to cover our efforts to get closer and closer to God. So maybe today is that day for you. Maybe it's Sunday. Maybe it's just the day that you need to refocus a little bit more intentionally, or maybe you need to start looking at this week ahead coming up of how you can plan for next Saturday or next Sunday or Friday or Monday or whatever it's going to be, and how you can put aside the shopping list and the uh, task list and the chore list 
And the goal here is it's not about not doing anything, it's about not just trying to make the effort of being more productive. Trying to just make your identity about all the stuff you did. And just take a day off, give Dave the Amazon delivery driver a break and spend time with yourself, with God, with your family. Remember that God rested and so should you. God, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the beautiful day that I hope even today we can take a little bit of a look at what stopping could look like. God, Shabbat, Sabbath, just a stop and delight in what you have done for us. God, what is around us, this amazing world on a day like today, how can we not say amen, this is a beautiful place? God, thank you so much for this design of creation you've given us, six days of labor, one day of just stopping to be present. God, I just pray that there is no guilt, there's no condemnation, there's no oppression from this thing that's supposed to just be a gift and a burden. God, you have given us Sabbath. Let it be something that we can celebrate. Let it be something that gives us life and helps our faith thrive and flourish. God, I just pray that as we go from this place, we can find ways to practice it. God, just give us the space to practice it. Give us the ease of mind to let stuff go and stop things. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for the week. We have Light of the World coming next week. Super excited, and happy summer.